0: Good morning good to see you here i look out and know some of you and i know that some of you are real soul winners too and you know a lot of what i'm going to share but my practice has been that i'll go to classes like this and listen to lots of other speakers if i can just pick up a few things that i don't know boy i tell you it's it's gold to me you know and that's really what i've done here is i have brought together things that i've other evangelists other pastors other classes i've gone to and i've just gleaned and gleaned and gleaned and psh- put it together, okay? So, that's what we're doing here. Let me, speaking of stories and illustrations, let me start out with a little story that uh, I like because it illustrates really, I think, the difference between one who is successful and one who is not. Uh, You know who Henry Ford was? Henry Ford, of course, was the master car builder. Henry Ford was on a vacation in England and he was meandering through the English countryside and he happened to come across a car that was broken down on the side of the road. And it was one of his makes. So he pulled over and he got out and he said, can I be of assistance? And he recognized, as the people were there standing around wondering what to do, he recognized that the owner of the car was the king of Austria. Now he recognized the king, but the king didn't recognize who he was. So he went over and he said, the, you know, the king said, yes, we need some help. And Ford said, he opened the hood and looked under and then he said to one of his assistants, he says, crank it. So they cranked up the engine, it was running really rough, and he grabbed his hammer and he reached in and he smacked that engine in a certain place and it began to run really smoothly, just like it had come out of the factory. And the king was just delighted, and he said, how much do I owe you? And Henry Ford said, 100 silver shillings, please. And the king said, what? 100 silver shillings for just two minutes work? And Ford said, no, two silver shillings for the two minutes work and 98 for knowing where to hit. Now, a lot of what we're doing when I have this kind of a class is to help us to know just where to hit, because you can have two people both preaching sermons and both going into homes and both going through sort of the routine of visitation and a lot of the same things. You've got slides, you've got a lot of the things that make up an evangelistic meeting, but one is successful and one is not as successful because one knows just where to hit when it comes to a lot of these things and it makes the difference little things make a big difference when they add up over time so let me share with you just a little bit about visitation and i hope it'll be a great blessing to you we're told that visitation will do more than anything else to keep your audience consistent when you have an evangelistic meeting you know they'll come out from the brochure or whatever advertising you have they'll take a look at you But once you start getting into the actual meat of your seminar, they're making a lot of decisions, aren't they? And it's when you really visit with them that they're gonna decide whether or not they wanna keep going. Ellen White says in Evangelism 429, a few words spoken in private will often do more good than the whole discourse, or we would say sermon today, has done. Have you found that any of you? That when you're there and you're meeting with them personally, it's like, wow, this has accomplished much more. You think that when you're preaching that you're accomplishing so much. And when you are preaching, you think that the be-all and end-all is preaching, but it's really, really, the more you do it, the longer you do it, you find out it's the smaller part of the whole process. And of course, one that you're very familiar with. Your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find the way to the heart. Isn't it true we depend a lot about knowledge? And a lot about, well, you know, we've done this a long time. But really, how effective are we at reaching people's hearts? Why do we visit? Let's go through a few of these real quickly because time gets away from us so fast here. Why do we visit? Establishes personal relationships with the people and gives you a love for them. If you don't love people, you're probably not going to be very successful at all in evangelism. I love people. I love going into homes and getting to know them, finding out all about them, and the Lord has given me that as a gift, and I appreciate it. Number two, the visit helps the evangelist determine the level of understanding the individual has for the message and can help set conviction and the desire to follow the truth. So you go in and you want to know, what does this person know, and what do they think about what they know? Number three, through visitation, the needs of the people, their obstacles, you know, what they're stumbling about, what their problems are, and questions are discovered and dealt with. Very, very important. If they have questions and we're not answering them, they're gonna get frustrated or they're gonna have doubts and they're gonna say, maybe this isn't where I need to be. Oh, by the way, as Jeff said, please feel free to interrupt any time with a question or comment. I like it when you add to it. Clear and set principle, you learn this in Bible working. The mind cannot be freed to continue to accept further truth while it's still struggling with previous questions about doctrine that you have given. And they haven't had it an answered yet. So I want my audience to mature with the meeting. As I'm going through the subjects, I want their thinking to mature through the subjects so that when I'm down at the mark of the beast, they're not still stuck in the beginning with the rapture or one of those earlier topics, right? Because what happens is, as you're trying to get them to go deeper and deeper, if they're still thinking, yeah, but, but he said this way back ago, and I'm not sure that was right, so maybe this isn't right. They can't go further and further along if they're still thinking, I'm, I'm still not sure about these other things. So we've got to free up their mind to do that. Until finally, when you start handing out decision cards, they've got no objections about going forward. Five, when you know the issues, it can greatly aid you in your nightly preaching. A lot of people don't realize that you can bring in what's going on in the visit right into what you say that night. So that you can preach to a specific audience and issue and don't needlessly offend. Uh, how often is it that we don't realize what people are going through and we might say something inadvertently that might be offensive to them that we didn't need to say and finally visitation reduces the friction people feel when new doctrine is presented uh, Jeffrey's been with me each class here so I like to use him <laughs> as my guinea pig but let's say Jeff and I uh, Jeff's coming to the seminar and <clears throat> he's a Catholic and I know that he's a Catholic and I know that we're gonna be saying some things that might just be touchy to Catholics, I wanna make sure that he's my friend when I get to those points. I wanna make sure that he and I, he knows that I love him and I love Catholic people and that we're close and so that's gonna help him get through those hard spots. Seven, many if not most people will not make their decision in the meeting. Preaching brings conviction, but in-home visitation brings the decisions. What you, must, what, do you, excuse me, what you must seek to understand from the visit. Why do we visit? Well, we want to understand two things. What does the person believe regarding what they've heard so far? Okay, I go in the home, I want to know. First knowledge, when you, when, let's go through the decision-making process here. First knowledge comes, then conviction comes, then desire must come, and then action will come. So we want to go we want to going through that process. They may not realize they're going through that process in their mind, but... That's the process they're gonna go through. Do I have enough knowledge? What do I know? Am I convicted that it's true, that it's right? Do I have a desire to move ahead with that? And then, can I move ahead with it? So that's the process they're going through, and you're helping them through that process. Number two, what are the areas the person is struggling with? Well, they may have a desire, but there's a stumbling block there. We wanna know what the stumbling block is. It could be a spouse that's really persecuting persecuting them, some other thing, and if you know that, you can minister to, to them with that. The um, the quote that we know so well from Ellen White that says Christ's methods alone will bring true success. What do you think the number one reason is people come to the meeting, out to the seminar? There's lots of reasons people come, but what do you think they're feeling inside of them? Number one, could you, anyone give me a suggestion what it might be? Loneliness. Yes, wow, I rarely get it firsthand, first time. Loneliness is the number one thing. So, when they're lonely, they come out. And if we can minister to them and make a friend, well, that's a big, that's a big step forward, isn't it? Okay, intense visitation can happen before the meeting. Uh, some of the th- things we do is we want to visit all the interests that are worked prior to the meetings, invite them to come, just a short visit often we'll do, saying, hey, we've got something wonderful coming up, we really need to be there. We can offer transportation if they don't have it, talk up the program, say the speaker's well worth listening to. Uh, you'll get a great blessing out of it. These things can happen before the meeting. Now let's go and choose some very practical things. When I'm, when I'm uh, doing these kind of classes, I like practical things that I can put into place right away. Now you might <laughs> chuckle at this one, but you know, Seventh Avenue, we tend to be kind of health nuts at times. I, I, don't, I say that in the kindest sense, but. Uh, you know, often we take garlic shakes. Uh, you know, we're getting over a cold or the flu, and so we'll mix up some kind of thing in a blender and pour lots of garlic into it because it's going to be good for the system. We don't realize how that comes out on the breath, right? And uh, I've gone to church many times where you can just walk into the lobby and you know someone's really had garlic that morning, right? And we don't realize that that, that can be really offensive to people when you're out visiting, and, uh, and at church too, by the way. So we want to make sure we look neat, we look clean, uh, we look representative of the message that we carry. Uh, Dress for Success was a very big-selling book in the 1960s. Other books have come out since then, but uh, we know that's that <clears> that verse in the Bible: "Man looks on the outward, uh, me, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart." We quote that often, me, concentrating on the last part: "God looks on the heart." But that is also true, man looks on the outward appearance. Rightly or wrongly, we do. And so, it's, the outward appearance is very important. How do you look when you come in? I had a Bible worker uh, that had dreadlocks, and I didn't, I didn't hire this individual. Uh, they were hired before I got there, and I was just told I have these, these three Bible workers waiting for me, and one of them had the dreadlocks. When I got there, I uh, said, you know what, I said, now you may, you may think I'm unkind. But I said, you know what, you're going to have to lose the dreadlocks. Now, you know what dreadlocks are? I don't have to tell you what dreadlocks are. And because, but dreadlocks, regardless of the character of this individual, they, they have a connotation of a subculture, and a subculture that's not very positive. And I was saying, you know, this is, everything that goes on in the meeting represents you as the speaker. Whether it's, whether it's the front end, the registering, the, everything that goes on, the buck stops here with you, because it's your seminar. And I said, when you go to the door and say, I'm here with the Discover Prophecy seminar, and, uh, you know, and it's representing me. And I said, you know, the problem with dreadlocks is you can't just cut them. You have to shave them. So I realized it was a difficult decision that he'd have to make. Um, I even went on the internet and did some research to see what, what could we do about this situation. <laughs> but it's just a tough thing once you get them. And, uh, but I said, you know, but, but I asked him, how, how have you been doing since before I got here? And he said, you know, I have not, I'm not having any luck. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to the doors and no one's answering the doors. And I said, I've been here working two months or t- two and a half months. He had nothing, zero. He says, I said, well, why do you have these dreadlocks? And he says, well, I think that maybe I'll just, I can go into the, the streets and I can win people that, that wouldn't ordinarily come. And I said, well, how many have you got? Well, none so far, you know, two and a half months. And I said, well, I said, I think it's because of how you look. Anyway, it was, a, it was a tough thing, but it makes a difference how you dress. Now, if I'm gonna go out, I learned this when I was a real estate agent. If I'm gonna go out on the farm and I'm going to uh, talk to the farmer out on the tractor, as I often did, I'm gonna dress different. I'm gonna dress in my jeans and I'm gonna have my running shoes on and you know something else for the shirt. I'm not gonna go out like this because if I walked out to the farmer on his tractor like this, he's gonna say, well, I don't relate to this guy. You know, what's he doing coming out here? Like that. So, all right. Smile. If you give a smile, the smile will return. He who has friends must show himself friendly. Be polite. Use good manners. I know these are obvious, but we want to say them anyway. Sometimes we, sometimes we don't do the obvious. Avoid the use of slang. Sometimes we've come out of the world and our language isn't quite cleaned up yet. You know, we have some remnants of earlier times. And try to elevate your language to the appropriateness of what a Christian should have. I told a funny story yesterday. At least it's funny to me. (laughs) But there's a well-known evangelist now in our church. uh, Not that old. If I said the name, you'd know it. But I'm not going to say it because I'll let him tell the story sometime. But, uh, But he worked with me as a Bible worker. And uh, he'd come out of the world. He just, just had been a new Christian, really short period of time. But we were driving around in the car, and he was in the back seat. And he was still using this language that wasn't profanity, but it was street language. It was, uh, what would be the word? Uh, just, uh, what's that? I said ghetto. But yeah, yeah, kind of like ghetto, kind of like ghetto language, you know. And uh, I stopped, and I said, listen, I said, if you want to be an evangelist, which he did, I said, you've got to cut that out. You've got to cut that language out, you, you just can't use it. So I never said anything more and years went by and we didn't uh, see a lot of each other. And one day I was at an evangelist to get together and he was the keynote speaker. And oh, a powerful message, I mean, it was just, he just brought the house down, it was so good. And I went up to him afterward and we gave, gave him a hug and he said, Brian, he said, remember that time I was in the back seat driving around with you and you stopped the car and turned around and kind of confronted my language and I said, yeah. I remember that really well. And he said, You know what? I've never used that language since that time. You know, I I took it to heart. And we have to do that kind of thing. And the Lord has blessed him, has blessed his speaking incredibly. I'm not saying just because of that, but. All right. We've already talked about number D, letter D. We must make a friend before you lead them to the Lord. You can't win people that don't like you. Isn't that true? Right? So, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to try to make a friend, and then they'll listen to your message. Number three, be sure to know the interest visitation record. Everybody knows that we have these wonderful programs. There's a number of them out there, several that are good. If you want to know one, I can suggest them to you. But there's a number of them that keep track of who's coming to your seminar. Now, when you print those out, that's really privileged information. Be careful how you use it. And please don't take it to the home, as some have. Well, let me see, you've missed night four, and you've missed night seven, you know. Uh, Nobody wants to know that you're keeping track of them, right? Nobody wants to know that you're there uh, marking down what nights they come and what nights they don't, even though that's what we do. So don't, and please don't take these notes to the to the home. Well, let me see if I've got all this stuff here. I'm telling you those things because it's been done. Arrive on time if you have an appointment. That makes a difference. If you say you're going to be there at seven, do everything you can to be there at seven o'clock or whatever it happens to be. Visiting two by two is recommended by Jesus in the spirit of prophecy. Why do we do that? Why do we recommend? Why? Let me give me some reasons. There's there's a number of them. Why do we visit two by two? Can you help me out here? Prayer. Prayer? That's right. One is praying while one is talking. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah, avoid the appearance of evil. I mean, if you're going to visit someone and, and of course, you don't have an appropriate balance there between male and female, um, that's, that can be mis, misunderstood. That's right. I brought that up yesterday and I'm glad you reminded me. You, if something goes wrong or something happens, to have someone there as a witness to what took place protects you. Okay. I've been invited, you know, I've had a phone call by some lady, you know, listen, I really need help, I need some counseling, please come see me. I said, you know what, I can't. Or I, I can, but I'm going to bring such and such with me, okay? Uh, because you have to do that for your own protection. If you value your ministry, it only takes an accusation, one accusation to bring your ministry down, right? And uh, I could go a long time on that. Number six, generally, I don't visit earlier than the last of the first week or the beginning of the second week. Why? Because I want to give the people coming some time just to relax and not feel in any way pressured. There's a there's an exception to this. I would visit those who are already connected with the church or have been coming and haven't been attending the church in some way. So there's, there's those you can visit. But in terms of those who have come fresh to the seminar from the brochure, the advertising, we haven't seen them before. I would give them some time before I first go see them. I might call them on the phone. If they've come the first three nights and then haven't come back, we could give a phone call. But in terms of actually showing up on their doorstep, I wouldn't go too early because it might be a little bit threatening to them. Others, others do it differently and I understand that. Yes, Stephen. We do the phone call thing and it's very, very helpful. Yeah. Especially the first, if they come the first and second night, Yes. They miss that- When you, get, when you give them a phone call, do you use a little survey, or do you just say, hey, we, we appreciate you coming? When I, give, when I give the phone call, you're jogging my memory on, this is, this is good. I don't say, uh, oh, I've noticed you've missed, or why haven't you come back, or anything like that. I say, I am just calling to thank you for coming out to the seminar, right? It, it, a totally different feel to the call. And, they, and then they usually say, oh, yes, yeah, sir, I've been sick. They'll volunteer the information that you're looking for anyway. You don't have to ask for it. Oh, yeah, I missed Or, or you can always tell if you get this kind of cold. Uh, you would say, hi, uh, this, is, this is Brian from the Discover Prostate Seminar. And they say, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's probably not going to be uh, as warm a call. But, but you, they'll give you the information you need without necessarily asking for it. Yeah. Right. sometimes they'll check that we've got had a lot of really good interests who don't check that and when the evangelist who uh, in our case was steve Bale, um he's he would say you know i'd like to come visit you and then it was like you could feel mm-hmm. the pullback yeah so that's people, a tough we're one having a lot more people these days who don't want you to come they just love talking to you at the news call right we'll Uh, that is so true. It's getting harder and harder. It's a different... 20 years ago, more, people were more open for you to coming to their home. Uh, maybe even 15 years ago, they would invite you to their home. It's not that way as much anymore. Uh, and uh, let me just finish this thought, and I'll come to you. But what I do is two things. One, I really try hard to, to connect with them at the hall or the church, where we're holding the meeting, to, to develop the friendship there so that we are friends, and, they, and it seems like they're inviting a friend over, and two, I get around it by visiting more at the hall or the church. And it may not be in their home where I would prefer it necessarily, but I would, I'm getting the visit, I'm just getting it somewhere else. I'm getting it in a place where they're more comfortable with. I'm saying, no, why don't you stay by tomorrow night and we'll chat a bit. I use the word chat because it's less threatening than talk. I don't want to talk to you, no. What you want to talk to me about is like you know, going down to the principal's office. You're going to talk to me. And so I, I use the word chat. And I say, why don't you hang around tomorrow night, boys? You know, just we'll we'll talk about those questions you had, and so they'll they'll stay by, and I'll get the visit there. So I it's not necessarily where I would prefer it, but at least I'm getting it somewhere. But would you be able to like call for those specific decisions at that place, or is it harder? If I'm into the seminar at Fairways then what I do is I arrange for the visit. Like on my day off, I'll, I'll get to this. I'll arrange where I'm, vi- I'm having them come to the church, back to the church on, let's say I'm off on Thursday, I'll schedule them Thursday at noon, Thursday at one, two, three, four, at the church. And it's like coming to the doctor. Uh, it's a scheduled visit. And so when they come in, they know we're gonna be getting down to you know, the things that are important and um, there's a way to do that and I'll come to that here uh, how I schedule them oh I'm sorry it's along the the same lines I found that people will let me come and visit when I'm a speaker or a pastor Mm -hmm. but they don't want my Bible Bible worker to come and visit or an elder in the church and so I'm not sure how you get around that or if it's even worth trying to get around well I would ask permission and sometimes I don't if I feel that it's not going to be a problem um there's no there's no perfect solution because with people you don't know always what the response is going to be and so I just do I sometimes you have to just use your best judgment and and pray that the Lord will open the door for you even if you aren't catching them home you can learn the territory there's reasons we can go you know where they live a little bit about where they live that tells you you know their their uh, high economic area of the town or otherwise uh, if you're not there, leave some cards and let them know that you made the attempt and hey, you went out of the way, you were there, you tried to catch them, at least something might be accomplished by that. Now they need more than one visit. Uh, just one is good, more is better. You don't want to overdo it. A lot of these things, some is good, too much is not good. So you have to judge, but you, you can overvisit people. That's possible. You can get to the point where they say, listen, I just need a, some, uh, a break from you showing up at my door. Okay, generally two visits during the vital times. This is, this is key right here. This is one of the most important things. I didn't come up with this. Someone shared this with me long, long time ago. And short to the point, but it has a lot to it. Preach like a lion, visit like a lamb. The contrast is striking, and it makes a difference. When they see you really authoritative in the pulpit... And then quite humble and meek and friendly and kind in your... You know, you should be kind all, all the time. But what I'm saying is the, the, the softness of your visitation is striking to them. They think sometimes you're going to come off the pulpit and visit like you've been preaching. And you have to let them know, no, it's okay. I'm not going to be like that, you know. And then I would... When I'm, in, when I'm dealing with them in the hall, I say, Jeffrey, it's so good. It's so good to have you out. I'm lowering my voice. I'm, I'm slowing it down. Letting him, you know, I'm just, I'm connecting on a very sincere and warm level, and and they say, oh, well, he's he's different here than he is in the pulpit, and it's when you really make a friend and you and you're just doing that one-on-one soft visit that then when you get back into the pulpit and you preach with that biblical authority, they're more likely to say, this is of the Lord, this is the Lord's doing that's giving him this, so. Uh, it, I'll get into that visit like a lamb more in just a moment. Your introductory comments, very important at the door. My first visit I'll say, and I'm sure you do something similar to this, uh, I can only stay a few minutes. I, hey, I'm so good to see you here. I can only stay a few minutes. Uh, and, and what does that do when you tell them at the door, I can only stay for a few minutes? It takes the off. Yes, it takes the pressure off. They say, oh good, you know, I, I'm a busy person, he's not going to be here all afternoon, right? or she. So, it puts them at ease, uh, and you must must be honest about it. If you say you're only going to stay a few minutes, don't stay too long. Now, if I'm going to meet them, often people are not just there in their living room waiting for you to come into their living room. They're in the backyard cutting the lawn or they're out on the porch. Wherever they are, I've learned this also when I was in sales, you meet them where they are. I don't care if I'm going to visit on the porch. I'm happy visiting on the porch if that's where they are. Or in the backyard, for that matter. But just be adjustable. If they're in the backyard, don't say, oh, can we go into the house and visit around the table? You don't need to do that. If that's where they are, meet them where they are. I'm moving along because time will really get away from us. Sit where where both we can see. If there's more than one, if there's husband, wife, various people, sit where you can see them all without turning your back to any of them. I know it sounds very basic, but you'd be surprised how... When I go into a home, instantly I'm assessing the furniture. I'm looking, there's the couch, there's a chair there, there's a chair there, now I'm not, you know, I'm not letting them know that I'm doing this, but I'm, I'm looking around the room and I'm saying, now I can sit here and I can put them there and I would actually say, well, let's, have, let's, let's sit down together. So, so I'm, when you do this, you know, yeah, yeah wherever your hand is leading, the, sit down and then I'll just kind of move this way and they'll move that way and I've got them sitting so I can see them both, you see. Little things, but, uh, but, but I don't want to be going like this as I'm talking, you see. It's very awkward and not as effective. <clears throat> Remember to bring your Bible. You'd do that anyway, I know, but bringing the Bible into the home adds a sacredness to the visit. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Right. And when, when I'm talking with them, I'll say, let's let the Bible answer that. I, I, I have a thought, but I'd rather let the Bible speak for me. And when I say that, they'll usually open up the Bible with me if they have one. Often they do. And I'll read the first text, because sometimes we'll read multiple texts together. And then once I've read one, I'll say, why don't you read this next one? Oh, okay. I love it when they read out of their own Bible, and they've seen it for themselves. I think that it's, it's effective to have them do that. Yes? I was talking with a pastor recently, and he has his iPhone and the Bible on there, and he takes that everywhere with him. But in my mind, I'm like, no, you need to have your book. Yeah. it just looks like a phone. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's yeah. not the same thing. I wouldn't do the iPhone thing either. <laughs> <laughs> I'd highly recommend not doing that. It's just something about having, you know, it's, you understand. I won't go on. Lead a, select a lead person to make the visit. Very important, very important. Um, if Stacy and I are going to go into a home together, we want to be sure who's going to take the lead, right? I mean, this is Bible working 101. And, and because if you don't do this, and I've made the mistake of going with a pastor, and, you know, we're just having a, a really good talk on the way, and I haven't made it clear who's going to take the lead. And then all of a sudden, both of us are talking, and I can tell we're going to get nowhere on this visit. Because I'm going down a certain train of thought to lead to a point, And then all of a sudden, I'm almost there, And then the other person will jump in, and he's talking, and the the conversation and the attention switches over to him, and I've lost everything. So you're competing, not meaning to, but you're competing one against the other for what you're saying, and all of a sudden you really don't accomplish anything. By having a lead person, it makes all the difference. Oh, I'm going to finish that one off. Now, if Jeff and I go in, and I I don't care who, who takes the lead. If he has the relationship more than I do, I'd I'd prefer if he does. And then when you first go in, you know, you're going to talk, greet. you can both talk, hey, hello, it's so good to see you, boy, that's a wonderful rose bush you have out there in the front. You've been working on that a long time, your lawn is cut so nice. You both have that smaller talk when you go in. That's appropriate and necessary because you're both talking. And how are the kids doing, and, and the, the job, how's it going there? But when you get to the spiritual part of the conversation, then one of you has to go quiet, okay? And let the other lead through the important issues that you're trying to develop. The other person is not just sitting there, but they're praying, they're thinking, and they can jump in with a short testimony that's to the point, right? If you're talking about the Sabbath and, and working on the Sabbath, uh, and I'm taking the lead, Jeffrey might say, you know, I had that problem too one time. You know, of course, you want to be totally honest if it's, if, and, and this is how the Lord helped me. And it's short, it's a testimony, it adds power to it, and then he goes back silent again. That's what I have found to be the most effective thing. And then when you're after the visit, you've had your, (coughs) excuse me, you've had your closing prayer, then Jeffrey comes alive again, and in terms of conversation. And, and of course, he's been praying for me. And sometimes when he adds that little bit, it gives me time to rethink. If I'm going down a certain line of conversation and it's not effective, I would say, Lord, I'm always setting up prayers, you know, Lord, help me. Uh, then I say, there's a different way of approaching this. There's a different way of coming at this person than what I'm doing. So it gives me time to rethink. But then, then Jeffrey's conversation comes up again, and we say, well, thank you so much. It's sure been good to be here. We're both talking on the way out the door, okay? Okay. Yes? When you guys, uh, guys go in to make a visit, and you're taking the lead in he's right. talking Yeah. If if we're... <clears throat> Thank you, Jeffrey. If we're in the living room, for example, you want to be sure that you're not both just staring at the guest, right? So, w- as the conversation goes, so should your gaze go. If, uh, if, if Jeffrey is the guest, okay, then we don't want to both just be Transfixed on him. It's almost it's it's too intense. It's almost like a threatening type of situation. So if, if this person's talking, I'll, I'll turn here and then Jeffrey's talking and turn back to him and then this person's talking I'll turn to him, and turn here and and this person would do the same. And so we're having a three-way conversation rather than an inquisition where we're drilling them. You know, and it, it, it's a little thing again, but little things add up. And even subconsciously, they'll say. I don't like this, or I don't feel right, or I do feel right, or I feel friendly, or I feel comfortable with them, it's because of how you handled the situation, even how your mannerism of talking. Did you have? And whoever's taking the lead should be closest to the person. Yes, I don't want to, thank you. I don't want to be way over here, way too big of a, of a gap. I don't want to be sitting right here, because to a man especially, that would be quite uncomfortable. So a good distance would probably be something like this, uh, where we can chat together and he doesn't feel I'm encroaching on his space, okay? And if I'm, <coughs> as Stacey has said, the one who's taking the lead should be the little bit closer one, because again, it gives you that, that relationship, uh, that <coughs> ability, to, ability to connect better. yes yeah I agree because then it's not it's not us versus them thank you that's a great point that's a great point spend time getting to know them Um, again if you know what they do you can help develop a tie there with the family agree on as many points as you honestly can this is important because if, if, and I see this, oh, I could talk a long time about Sabbath schools and, and how this works during Sabbath school, but, but if someone is making points during the visit and you're not acknowledging when they're right and then you're going to bring up only when they're wrong, they're going to say, they're against me. They're against me. If they, they might be talking things that are absolutely crazy, but then they hit on something that's true, I say, you know what, that's right. The Bible does teach that. And then we'll they'll we'll go off talking about space aliens again, and, I'm, and I'll just not acknowledge anything about that. And then they hit on something else that's true, and I say, that's right. You know, the Lord has led you to see that. And they feel good about themselves, seeing that, okay, well, there's something I've got that's right. You know, I, my, all my years of study hasn't been totally in vain. So when you, when you agree where they are, uh, then they're more likely to give in when you show them something where they're not right. Uh, let me let me uh, diverge just a little bit here. For those of you holding meetings, this is also true when it comes to the people you work with as a pastor. Uh, If you're working with pastors and other people in the church, not just pastors but the other church members, and and I've got my registration table set up here, and they say, no, I'd like to set it up here. And I'm going to argue with them and say, no, no, I have to have it here. You know, right away we've got a problem. I'll say, okay, you want to sit up there? That's fine. Sit up there. And, and we want to put some plants here on the stage and and I want to have I'll say, oh, no, You i say, no, you want to put the plants here? That's fine. You know, give in on those little things because you know what? Big things are going to come along. And, and when those big things come along and I say, no, we're going to do it this way. Then they're going to say, okay. Because, you know, we've had some give and take right? And they know that I'm not just hard and fast and going to be authoritative all the time with them. So no, give in on those little things. Don't make a big issue out of them all the time when they don't really matter. This is great. I love this one. Use these two magical words when you're visiting. May I? They're two small words, but they have an incredible way of softening the conversation. May I say something with you? May I leave this with you? May I make a suggestion? Okay. Lead with those words. It's a lot better than saying, Hey, I want to tell you something. (laughs) Listen, I've got something to tell you. It it, it has a whole different feel to it, doesn't it? But when you say, May I leave a few texts with you today? Just soften your voice. You slow it down if you need to, but say, May I do this? It, It is just amazing what a difference this will make in your visitation. Again, you don't want to overdo something, but remember it, and and it is just phenomenal how much of a difference those two words will make as you lead it in your conversation. Visit like a lamb is what we're talking about here. Preach like a lion, visit like a lamb. Speak the name of Jesus. Do you know that angels draw close when we use the name of Jesus? Heavenly angels love to hear the name of Jesus spoken in conversation, and they actually will draw close to us when we do. Learn how to deal with distractors and bring them back to the point. If you've got someone that is insisting on, dive, you know, taking the conversation in other ways than what you want to do, you have to learn that kind of individual. You can be a little bit more candid with, and bring them back. And if they. You know how it is when you're talking to someone in a visit and you're wanting to clear them on whatever subject it is, and they're wanting to talk about their cousin's dog's problems? And it's like, what in the world does this have to do with our visit? But they'll go on and on and talk about, yeah, and they're struggling with a job, and and he's a physician off in Detroit, and they've got two kids, and their names are this and this. And it's like you could spend the whole hour just listening to conversation that has nothing to do with your point being there. You have to learn how to jump in and say, Mary... I've, I, that's wonderful that you love your cousins. in Detroit. I've got some cousins, too, that I can't see very often. But you know what? What we need to know right now is what you're going to do about what God is showing you. I mean, it's, it's, it's direct. But with that kind of person, you have to be a little bit more. And you bring it back. And all of a sudden, Mary's wanting to talk again about her, you know, her family on the other side of the country. And you say, Mary, that's wonderful that you really love your family there. But you know what? What's most important right now is what God is showing you. You see. And you bring it back several times, and what happens is they'll give up, they'll surrender it, and they'll say, "Okay, I'm not going. He's, he's not going to allow me to dive, distract the conversation." And then they'll deal with it. Yes. so you try to identify with them, and then you use a segue to transition. Exactly. I can't be rude, so I want to acknowledge that you know something about what she said. I you, still care about what she uh, you. I say she. <laughs> <laughs> often often it is a lady that does the distracting not so much from a, from a man sometimes men can do it too but usually it's a lady that will do that uh, and, and then I'll just acknowledge it uh, in, a, in a very way you sometimes have to jump in look for a place to jump in because your time is limited and then bring it back bring it back and pretty soon she'll say okay, alright I, I do have to deal with this it's just something I've learned there's, there's, you come across it a number of times did someone have a hand up? okay, jump in any time Always approach people as being honest and that they will obey Christ and accept all truth. In other words, give them the benefit of the doubt. Let them know, hey, I know that you are sincere. I know that you want to follow truth. Isn't that right? I know that you want to do what's right. And let them know that, you, that you're believing that they are sincere in what they're doing. And by doing that, they will then want to do it as well. And they will realize they will see you as on their side again. Now, we've already talked about number 23, so I'm going to skip over that. Learn the value of silence. Isn't that so true? Those of you who have been in the Bible work for some time now, when when you ask a very pointed question about what they're going to do in terms of a decision and they don't immediately answer, let the silence hang there a bit. Don't feel you have to jump in. I think you mentioned something yesterday about the fact that when you're in their home, Say it again, what you said, Jeff. When you're in someone's home, the pressure is on them to keep the conversation going because they're the host. Yeah. So they're, to, to keep the conversation going, <clears throat> they feel that they need to say something. They're obligated, they're obligated or at least they, they'll feel more obligated. And when that happens, just let, let the silence end. Let them think about what you've said. Let them think about what their answer is going to be. Don't, don't become uncomfortable with the silence and then break the silence because then that takes them, takes them off the hook, so to speak, about what they're going to do about that conviction that they have. Any questions on that? I know I'm moving through these rather quickly, and I do apologize. I have always come with about twice as much information as we have time for, but I think 15 minutes. The partner should be prepared to handle distractions that may come. You know, uh, be humble. If the if the children over here are playing with toys and it's really distracting to the parents, as you, if you're the partner, be willing to go over there and get on your hands and knees and play with the trucks and whatever you need to do so that that conversation can continue and that they're not distracted by what's going on. If there's a pot on the stove and it needs to be stirred I'll say, listen, you need me to handle that? You know, I'll go do that if, if I'm not the one that's leading out on the visit. It doesn't matter to me. We're all in this together, right? And so if it's Stacy and I doing the visit or Jeffrey and I doing it, I don't care what part I have. I just want to be there and be part of the soul winning process. And if I'm the one that has to go and, and uh, handle the distraction, so be it. Let, it. let it happen. Okay, we've already done number 26. <laughs> uh, okay. Sometimes it's the little things, you know. Okay, ask questions like, what do you think? In other words, you're asking questions where they have to respond with more than just a yes or a no. During the visits, attempt to listen carefully to what people are saying. Don't be so caught up in what you have to say that you're not listening to what they're telling you, because what they're telling you is valuable information about how to win them. We don't want to get ahead of the meetings. This is really basic, I know, but I'm going to put it in here anyway. Answer the material that you've covered, but don't get ahead because if you do and you haven't really proven the point, even if they accept it in the home, you haven't given them the foundation. And what they'll do is they'll let's say, they say, what is the mark of the beast? I, I know we haven't gotten into it yet, but I really want to know what the mark of the beast is. It's a temptation to say, well, they're already friendly and they're already eating it up. Let me just share it with them. Uh, I don't do that. Um, I'll say, listen. That, that subject, you, are you really interested in it? Yeah, I've always wanted to know it. That's great. Uh, it's a tremendous subject. We're going to get to it on Friday night. We're not quite there yet, but I promise you it's going to be a full presentation. And if you have any questions after that, we'll be sure to cover them. Uh, can you just wait, to hang on till then? Because we've got some really uh, important things to cover right now from the subject we've already been through. Pretty much 99.9% of the time, they're fine with that, right? They're fine with that. <clears throat> Number 30, be sure to show the interest, empathy before appealing. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. Yes? What if you know they're not going to be able to Okay. I was thinking that. I was going to bring it up, and uh, I thought, well, I'll just <laughs> skip over. But thank you. Thank you for doing that. My, my one time that I will break that rule of thumb, so to speak, is if I know they're not going to be back if I know they're moving to Texas, and, and, there's, and so on, then I will go out on a limb and I will share more with them. Yes, there is an exception to that. And that's the, the time, sir, when they're not going to be back. There's times when you've got nothing to lose anyway. Uh, I'll try to get them in touch with someone on the other side of the country if that's where they're moving. But I will say, listen, here's. But I won't give them the whole thing. I will basically give them as much as I think is prudent, And then maybe give them a great controversy or something like that to read. But uh, yes, I will share more if I know they're not going to be back. Thank you. I appreciate it. This part is, this is one that I have learned more recently in my ministry. I'm always learning. And this is one that I have more recently had impressed upon me. Is that if they're, say, working on the Sabbath, right? And they've got a family to feed. And they've got bills to pay. And we say, listen. God wants you to give up that job because God can get you a better job and, and uh, he doesn't want you working on the Sabbath. You know, we need to connect with them where they are first and say, and and sympathize with what they're going through. Because if you just simply say, change your job and get a job where you don't have to work on the Sabbath, they're gonna say, This guy doesn't understand. This guy doesn't understand. I've been here a long time. You know, I've got obligations, I've got I've got a family that is depending on me and so on and so forth. And if you don't Show them that you appreciate what they're going through. They're not going to hear the next part that you have to share. So be sure that you show them some empathy and sympathy if they're sad, if they're hurting. Uh, even, even if, for example, let's say they've lost an infant in death. right? And you say, hey, listen, Jesus is coming again and, and he's going to raise your little one up and, uh, and so forth. There's a point for that. But first empathize with the hurt that they have and, and, and show them, you can't, someone brought this up yesterday, uh, you, you, you have to be careful by not saying, I know how you feel. What if you haven't been there? Right? What if you haven't? And person sort of says, what do you mean you know how I feel? You don't, you've not lost a, an infant in death, right? But you, you might say, I can only begin to sense how you feel. Or, you know, I have children too, and I just, I'm so, so sorry. Sympathize with their situation first. Then, after you have done that, and they see that you care, you can move on to the next point, which is showing them uh, God's solution to it. Yes. Oh, okay. That's not on the slide, but that's not on the slide. But yeah, I talked about the three F's. Uh, I understand how you feel. Many others have felt that way too, but they have found. So it's feel, felt, found. Uh, and you, you use that, you know, again, carefully with, with judgment, but if you can certainly connect with them and you have gone through it, I understand how you, how you may feel on that. There's others that have felt that way as well as they've gone through it, but they have found, so you're giving a testimony of how it can be overcome. Thank you, Jeffrey. <clears throat> Alright, I've already talked about number 31 and 32. Uh, do not attempt to overprove a point. This is my little pet peeve uh, when I visit with, uh, with other pastors. Uh, don't give a $5 answer to a nickel question. So you're, you're going through a line of visitation, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they throw out this thing. that's always, they've always wondered about it. They, it's not really an important thing, but they say, where did Cain get his wife from? I've always wanted to know that. And then the person, you know, you're visiting with says, oh, let me handle this one. You know, I've got a lot of research on this. And, 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 and 20 minutes later, you're still talking about how you've, you know, they've just put every kind of slant on it and gone into Hebrew and Greek. And, uh, and it, you know, I'm thinking, boy, there goes the visit, you know. And they didn't need a 20-minute answer. Uh, I just said, listen, Genesis four twenty-six. it says Adam had sons and daughters. He most likely married his sister. Oh, okay. You can handle that in 15 seconds right? And then we're back on the thing. So, But there are times when the person that you're visiting with, your partner, uh, you know, says, oh, I've got a lot of expertise there. And they go on and on and on. And it may not be that, but it's something. Other. And it's, they're not expecting a big answer. So just if, if you can see that it's just a peripheral question, answer it that way and bring it right back. And then say, if you want more information on it, I'll be happy to get that to you. Okay. And you don't have to take half your visit to answer a question that wasn't really meaningful for the visit. Any question on that? All right, we're still on time. Gospel Workers, 376. It is not the best policy to be so very explicit and say all upon a point that can be said when a few arguments will cover the ground, okay? You don't have to give them every text in the book to prove the point. Just give them a few, they got it, okay, on we go. In this age when pleasing fables are, are drifting upon the surface and attracting the mind, truth presented in an easy style backed up with a few strong proofs. Now this also goes back to preaching, right? You don't need every text on the point. To to bring it across, you've given a few texts, you've made some proof. Uh, It's better than to search and bring forth an overwhelming array of evidence. All right. Number thirty-four. If they talk favorably about their occupation, I love this one too. I'm giving you things that have just been very, very meaningful in winning people over. If they talk favorably about their occupation, you may use their occupation as an illustration or analogy to help them make a decision. If they're firemen, I'm going to talk about fireman illustrations. If they're a policeman or a doctor, I'm going to talk about doctor. Those ones are easy. Those professional occupations are real easy to make analogies and illustrations from. The Lord will give them to you on the spot. In other words, whatever they are, hairdresser, carpenter, it's easy to when you practice it, to make analogies that they can relate to. They relate to that occupation. I'll give you a really, really basic one. If they're a hairdresser, right? Mary's a hairdresser. And Mary is struggling. She says, I don't really see what difference it makes whether you worship on Saturday or Sunday. What difference does it make? You know, God is happy either way. You're just worshiping, right? I'll say, Mary, you're a hairdresser, right? Yeah. If someone walks in asking for a basic haircut, and you give them a perm, right, frizz it all out, do something, does it make a difference? Well, yeah, of course, they'd be pretty unhappy, wouldn't they? Yeah, it makes a difference. They can't come in asking for one thing and you give them another thing, right? <clears throat> well, what about if God asks us for one thing and we give Him another thing? Now, I know it sounds so simple, just sounds so basic, but they get it. right? Oh, I, I could never do that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right away, she sees, nope, that's right, we can't, be giving them, we can't be having them ask for one thing giving you another. Whatever it is, it may sound so simple, but because it's their occupation, they relate to it and they say, no, I got the point. So whether it's a police officer or whatever it happens to be, use what they do and help them see it through that and they'll get it right away. Any questions on that? Thoughts? Okay. Always end up by telling them you'd like to have prayer with them. This is one time when I won't say, may I have prayer with you? This is one time when actually I don't do that. This, in this instance, I'll say, <clears throat> I'll say, Bob, I'd like to pray with you right now. Say, I, I won't ask permission. I'll just say, this is, I, I'm going to pray with you. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> I want to do it. They're happy with me praying with them. And you know, a lot of times we take prayer for granted, but they've never had anyone pray with them in their home or even at all, for that matter. The pastor, they've gone to this huge church. The pastor has never even called them by name, let alone prayed with them. It's a a major thing, and it makes a big impact. If they've got children, learn the children's names and use those names in your prayer. Okay? There's Bob, there's Nancy, there's Joseph, and use those names as you're praying for them. It'll really make a a difference in their minds. Ask the question, is there anything specific that you would like me to pray about? Uh, And then... They'll get it. It it bonds them to you and you to them by praying about things that are specifically going on in their life. Call that person by name when praying and visiting with them. It is said that a person's name is the most sweet thing to their ears. Again, you can overdo it, right? You don't want to overdo it and, and, you know, say Mary, 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 Mary all the time during your visit. But use it some, but don't overdo it. But, but, but uh, But don't forget to use their name either. Learn the appropriate time to leave the home. After you've had, I've learned this back in, in uh, real estate sales. When you, they've told us all the time, when you've signed the contract, get out of the home. Right? There's some things that carry over. When you've signed the contract, get out of the house. If you've, if you've got the decision, you've had prayer with them, say, thank you so much for having us in your home. We need to be going now. We sure hope to see you at the meeting tonight and leave. Okay? Have you found that to be so? It's the time to leave is when the decision, when the conviction is still there. If you have the conviction there and you've had prayer and then you go off into a lot of casual conversation and you have something to eat and you go down and play ping pong or whatever it is, that conviction is all of a sudden gone and pretty soon they say, you know what, maybe this isn't such a good idea. And they come up with all these reasons why. It just works that way. I can't always tell you why, but that's the way it is. So leave, and then when you go out into your car in the driveway, what's the next the next thing that you're going to do? When you get into the car, you leave. That's right. Don't sit in the car and debrief about the conversation or the visit that you've had. Because what, the, what are they going to do? They're going to look through the blinds, right? And they're going to see you out in, the, out in the driveway in the car, and they're going to say, what are they talking about? What did I do wrong? Why are they, why are they discussing me? And they're going to get... Self-conscious about it. So you want to get into the car, put it in reverse or drive, whatever it is, and you get out of there, and then you can go down the block and pull over if you want to or talk about it. But when the decision's been made, don't linger. Oh, by the way, lest I forget, when you've pulled into the driveway uh, and you get out of the car and you're walking up to the door, be careful about your conversation because they can often hear you in the house. And sometimes they even have intercoms that can pick up what you're saying. And so if you're discussing them as you're coming up the sidewalk or the driveway, uh, you, you can really dig a hole for yourself quick when you've not said something really positive or something that's personal. Uh, if you're gonna say anything, comment on their beautiful yard if you can, or something that is quite positive that you don't mind them hearing. Yeah, two, minutes. two minutes, we're told. At the close of the visit, ask if you can come back sometime. May I come back sometime? I'd love to chat some more about this. If you're asking permission, And they'll usually grant that to you. Always be pleasant. Okay, we've done number 42. When it all boils down is loving people and making friendships. Again, you can't win people that don't like you. And so winning them, winning them as a friend, uh, a lot of things carry over to the the preaching. And I don't have time because our time is up here. What we're going to do in this next class is I'm going to throw out the topic I had because I did it yesterday. And we're going to have a question-answer period for an hour on anything you want to talk about on evangelism. I don't care if it's advertising or the brochures or the uh, the setup or the, the sound system. Whatever it is, we're going to have an A to Z on question-answers. So if that interests you and you'd like to talk about it, then we welcome you back. But... Uh, <clears throat> Evangelism 439. You must come close to those for whom you labor. that They may not only hear your voice, but shake your hand. Learn your principles and realize your what? Your sympathy. Very, very important. Okay. Any questions? We're we're pretty much done. I've got to turn it back over to Jeffrey because I want to respect the time here. But uh, thank you for your input. I appreciate it. I hope you've gotten something out of this. And uh, I hope I'll see you again next class if you can. This media was produced by Audioverse for G.Y.C., Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about G.Y.C., please visit www.g.ycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.